Welcome to You News, the podcast, using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Thursday, January 23rd. I'm Pamela Silva. These are today's headlines. Democrats build a case for President Trump's removal from office as the impeached president lashes out at critics. Officials in the U.S. now sounding the alarm as the coronavirus outbreak grows in China and spreads across the globe. And smugglers embracing technology to helping people cross the U.S.-Mexico border illegally. This and much more today on You News, recorded live from our newsroom in Miami. We begin today with President Trump's impeachment trial. Democrats doubling down on the president's actions and his words, while Trump talking to Twitter all last night and today furiously trying to defend himself. The impeachment trial of President Trump enters its third day with opening remarks to continue this afternoon. This will be the Democratic's manager's second of three days to present their case, in which they accuse the president of abusing his office for his own political gain and obstructing Congress. The president was the key player in the scheme. Everyone was in the loop. He directed the actions of his team. He personally asked the foreign government to investigate his opponent. Yesterday, day two was an intense eight-hour marathon that included Democrats going chronologically over every phone call, every email, and playing video and using the president's own words to support their case. Well, I would think that if they were honest about it, they'd start a major investigation into the Biden. Start a major investigation into the Bidens. The evidence of wrongdoing by President Trump is hiding in plain sight. Senate Democrats passionately argue that in order to protect the 2020 election, the president must be removed from office. The president went to extraordinary lengths to cheat in the next election. And urging Republicans to let them call additional witnesses that have been blocked by the White House. The full and complete story is within your power to request. Ask yourselves whether the documents and witnesses that have been denied by the president's complete and unprecedented obstruction could shed more light on this critical topic. The president's attorney sitting silently through the whole process and preparing for Saturday when they will get a chance to make their case. But the one person at the heart of the trial not remaining silent, President Trump, on his way back from Switzerland with the trial underway, he tweeted more than 140 times, more than any other day of his presidency. And House impeachment managers are starting day two, focusing on alleged abuse of power. That's one of the two articles of impeachment. And to discuss the latest impeachment developments, let's bring in Charles Selden, a political science professor at Nova Southeastern University. Thanks for joining us, Professor. In their opening yeah. argument, Democrats are targeting the small group of senators who may vote to hear from witnesses or subpoena documents. Republican Senator Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski and Mitt Romney have signaled they will likely vote to consider witnesses and evidence. But Democrats still need a fourth member of the GOP. How do you think the House impeachment managers have done so far? Well, I think they've done a wonderful job in laying out their case. Anyone listening to what they said is going to have a hard time not seeing that something happened and that something was questionable and the president was involved in it. The real question is, 
that's still open is, is this grounds for impeachment, which is what they'll be arguing today and tomorrow. But unless there's facts not on the table, uh, it's very hard to disagree that the president, you know, this happened and the president acted in this particular way. Uh, that's one of the reasons why the Democrats are asking for more witnesses and for more documents to strengthen that argument. They think it's out there. Uh, so I think they're doing a wonderful job, but it's, you know, it's only the first half. And let's precisely talk about the witnesses, Professor. Democrats say there's no way they're considering an idea from Senator Ted Cruz about trading John Bolton's testimony for Hunter Biden. Let's take a listen first. That trade is is not on the table. This isn't like some fantasy football trade. And CNN is reporting Trump allies are also working behind the scenes to lobby Republican senators to oppose any witnesses. Any educated guesses on what would happen when it comes to the witnesses? Anyone who knows, says they know what's going to happen, is either confused or lying. We don't know. There's a lot of pressure on a handful of Republican senators to stay strong with the party, with the caucus, but also they're worried about how this is going to play back home when they run for re-election. And how they ultimately jump on this, I suspect they don't know how they're going to answer. Uh, it, it's, it's going to be a last-minute decision by four or five Republicans, which is, in a sense, a shame. We should want more information. Mm -hmm. uh, the president mm -hmm. should want more information. After all, his claim is he did nothing wrong. These people should be able to show that he did nothing wrong. But the fact that uh, they're fighting this uh, puts pressure on these Republicans on the margins uh, to make a decision that's going to be very public either way they decide. And let's talk about Professor Trump's legal team, which picks up on Saturday. So far, impeachment watchers are saying Democrats have set a high bar, like you mentioned, for the defense. It seems the defense may frame their argument as even if he did what he did. And we spoke a little bit about this. There's no crime here. Is that an effective approach from his defense? Well, in some ways, given what the president has said, that's really the only approach they have left. Uh, he's basically come out and said none of this happened, that it was a perfect phone call, that I was doing nothing wrong. I was doing everything right. That pretty much leaves the defense to have to argue that case. So in essence, they're not going to argue the facts. What they're going to argue is the law and argue that whatever facts are determined, whatever facts are provided by, by the impeachment managers is irrelevant, that the president did nothing wrong or at the very least did nothing that is impeachable. There was also a lot of reaction to a comment that President Trump made in Davos um, yesterday, let's take a listen to what he said. I thought our team did a very good job, but honestly, we have all the material. They don't have the material. Well, and do, indeed, they do have the material hidden from the American people. That is nothing to brag about. And that criticism being alleged, this is proof of obstruction. Is this a fair criticism? Oh, without a doubt. The president basically said, I've got the stuff they want. I'm not letting them have it. Uh, now, his argument is Congress has no right to see it. That's one of the things that's being litigated here, whether Congress has the right to do oversight over the president. Um, the president's argument is they have no right to see this. This is my job, my power, my records. Uh, the Congress, uh, at least the House, argues otherwise, that effectively 
Congress has a constitutional duty of oversight over the executive. They've issued a legal subpoena, and the president is supposed to follow through with that. Um, depending how you uh, interpret or, or, or read this particular set of, 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 of issues will determine how you vote. But uh, if you ask most constitutional scholars, their response is going to be that, yes, the, in this case, the House managers have the right of the argument, and the president just admitted to obstruction of Congress. And Professor, a new Pew poll shows that 51% of Americans say President Trump should be removed from office and 63% of Americans say Trump has either definitely or probably done things that are illegal. And 70% say he definitely or probably has done unethical things. Why aren't Republican senators paying attention to what Americans want? Because when you break down the numbers and look at how Republican voters are splitting as opposed to Democratic voters are splitting, Republicans and Republican-leaning independents, basically three-quarters of them think the president either has done nothing wrong or has done nothing that's impeachable. Uh, whereas 85% of Democrats and Democratic-leaning uh, uh, independents think he's done something wrong. Uh, there is a small group of independents in the middle who don't necessarily break either way. And there, they are leaning towards the president did something wrong, or at the very least, unethical. Um, but that's a relatively small number of voters. As long as the base of the Republican Party is backing the president, the senators are not going to go against the president. The minute you start seeing 60, 70 percent of Republicans mm. saying he did something illegal, then we'll start seeing movement. Well, we'll definitely be watching the remaining of day two and day three tomorrow. Thank you so much, political science professor Charles Selden, for joining us today. Glad to be here. And meanwhile, President Trump tonight heads to Miami to address the Republican National Committee winter meeting. The meeting is set to take place at Trump's Doral Golf Course. It's the second time in two years that Republicans are holding a major meeting at the resort. And now to another major story where following health authorities are still scrambling to manage the coronavirus outbreak. That outbreak began in China, but has now made its way overseas. The last flight from Wuhan, China, landed at JFK in New York overnight. And here's what we know right now. More than 500 people have been infected. and There's one known case in the U.S. and five U.S. airports are now screening passengers. Elena Sarasa has all the details. New details on the American patient infected with the coronavirus. The unidentified man in his 30s living under quarantine in a Seattle hospital, living in a biocontainment room with security guards. The few medical professionals who have access using a specially skilled robot to limit their contact. The man, at the time asymptomatic, flew in from Wuhan last Wednesday, fell ill the next day, and reached out for medical attention within 24 hours, tested positive for the virus. Fortunately for us, the patient also provided a good history to let us know that he was already at high risk. Seattle officials now working on verifying 16 people he may have been in contact with. Department of Health epidemiologist to complete an extensive travel history with the patient. Now two other Chinese cities on lockdown. Overnight, Wuhan ground zero for the outbreak, but also one of the largest transportation hubs in central China is enacting a travel ban, as well as suspending departures from the train station and airport. This video shows emergency checks on one of the last flights out of Wuhan. Two passengers were removed from the plane. I'm in China. 
American Matthew McCoy, a constant traveler in the country since 2013, says people are being extra cautious. Nobody's at the shopping malls, and now nobody's at the movie theaters, and very few people are out and about. They've all got their groceries, and they're staying in-house as much as possible to try to weather this situation. The CDC now funneling all passengers arriving from Wuhan through five U.S. airports with mandatory screenings and posting advisories at checkpoints at 14 airports. The last flight from Wuhan landed at JFK last night and in Boston screening 10 passengers coming from Hong Kong. All were cleared. Carolina Sarasam, U News. In one small town in Georgia, detained immigrants outnumbered the residents. That town called Lubkin is a place where private company runs the town's big business. The store detention center, which operates in partnership with Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Ana Rivero visited a tiny town to see how residents are putting together a grassroots network of resources for the families of the detainees. This is the city of Lubkin in Georgia. It's just over 1,000 residents. Some say it's a forgotten town. The library is this box full of books. The pharmacy was turned into a museum and most of the shops are closed, with the exception of this house. The coordinator, Michelle Fierro, opened the doors of this home for many families of immigrants visiting the only business that is still working in town, the Stewart Immigration Detention Center. They arrive to this town and realize there's no place to stay, and we offer them the opportunity to stay with us. Columbkin has 1,159 residents, and the Stewart Detention Center has a capacity for 1,752 detainees. This means that there are more people behind bars than there are residents in the village. A demographic the attorney, Erin Argueta, is trying to change. She and two more immigrant lawyers are all that is left in Lumpkin. They arrive at their last hearing without legal representation because it's not enough for all the people without having the evidence and they don't get a fair opportunity to present their case. This is the reality of the Medrano family. Joan Nieves has been coming to the shelter for four months to visit Carlos Medrano, her husband and father of her children. We did not expect ICE to detain him because he has a work permit. It was because of a car accident, a favor he went to do. Carlos already has a deportation order to El Salvador, and until the moment comes, his family travels every week here. I feel bad that my dad wasn't here and it wasn't the same the last Christmas. My life changed, he hasn't been here, and school got harder, my grades changed. In the middle of the desperation, they are grateful to have somewhere to eat and sleep. From Lumpkin, Georgia, Danay Rivero, U News. And along the border, there's also a new way to illegally cross the dividing line. The process involves using a cell phone to guide migrants, which allows smugglers to avoid the risk of being arrested in person, and is proving more and more popular. But as Roger Borges reports, it is still dangerous for everyone involved. After chasing them for several hours through the desert mountains, U.S. Border Patrol managed to stop four Mexican migrants who were being guided by their coyotes via cell phones. They just lead you that way, take to your right, take to the left, and now just go straight ahead. That's how they guide you. The migrants cross west of Nogales, Sonora, through a mountainous area where there's no wall. None of them brought backpacks or water or food, just cell phones. 
Today, the Polleros do not walk with the group, but they provide a phone and guide them with it. The four migrants who allowed us to film with them without revealing their identities brought camouflage clothes and constantly called the polleros for directions. Many times they tell them to walk to that point and call a phone number and they will give them directions. But the directions are very basic, say the migrants, and often they had to keep dialing when they got lost. Hey, I got lost here. And then they told us to go to the left or to climb the hill but walk hunched so they can't see us. They told us so. Border Patrol told a group of agents to locate them by using canine units, with some of them on horseback and ATVs. At the same time, more agents were looking for other groups with the same objective. That's been going on lately here in Nogales, and as I say, we're using different resources. The risk with these types of crossings, according to Border Patrol, are that if your cell phone runs out of battery, or the phone signal drops out, or you're left to drift, you can get lost. In the case of these migrants, they had walked for about five hours and were exhausted, cold and soaked by the rain. Are you going to come back? Keep trying. No, but the truth is that I bless God and I'm going back to my people. This here is the end of the American dream. In Nogales, Arizona, Roger Borges, U News. Spain is reeling from the passing of Storm Gloria. At least nine people have died and four have been reported missing, according to Spain's Civil Protection Agency. Storm Gloria has wreaked havoc in the country, causing major damage to beaches and severe flooding in low areas, not to mention leaving thousands without power. And take a look at the flood of brownish sea foam running through the streets of Girona. Spanish authorities said in a statement Wednesday that they expected the storm to lose strength throughout the day. Venezuela's opposition leader said Wednesday that he wants the European Union to broaden sanctions against members of the Venezuelan government as a way to push toward free presidential elections in the country. Speaking in Brussels during a global tour despite a travel ban issued by the Maduro government, Guaido also said that he is seeking a meeting with President Donald Trump in Washington. And speaking of Venezuela and neighboring Peru, the government has created a new bridge of its police force dedicated to fighting crimes committed by foreign citizens, in particular focusing on Venezuelan migrants in the country. In a video introducing the force, Peruvian Interior Minister Carlos Moran said that they would look to tackle offenses including drug trafficking, kidnapping and violent crime made by foreign citizens, mainly Venezuelans. The Venezuelan ambassador in Peru, appointed by Venezuelan opposition leader Juan Guaido, expressed concern about this new measure. According to official figures, there are more than 860,000 Venezuelan migrants currently in Peru. And former Bolivian President Evo Morales holding a massive rally in Argentina where he is in self-exile, telling the crowd he was convinced his party will return to power. The ex-president complained about the authorities he considers responsible for a coup d'etat that led to his resignation from the presidency on November 10th. More of your news after this short break.
Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. They don't know when they're going to be able to go back to work. Victims also from Mexico and this mass shooting. Officials in and out of the residence. We're going to continue fighting. Your news covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your news, your world, your news on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. In Mexico's capital, officials joining several other cities across the world in banning single-use plastic bags. The ban put in place to help protect the environment, but as Claudia Zurita tells us, it's causing other issues for both buyers and sellers. Single-use plastic bags have been banned in Mexico City. For some, a bold move towards saving the planet. Yet the problem goes beyond plastic bags. It's hard to find plastic-free products because at the supermarket, everything is packed in plastic. According to the Ministry of the Environment, 13,000 tons of trash are produced daily in Mexico City and barely 2,000 of these tons gets recycled. This trash collector observes that people have to be more mindful when it comes to discarding their trash. People have to be conscious because it affects us all. If you throw your trash on the street, sewage gets affected, and then the city floods. Biodegradable plastic bags are also banned due to the long time it takes for them to be broken down. Compostable bags are allowed, but although some vendors agree with this eco-friendly option, some haven't found suppliers for them. I'm happy to do something for the environment, but they're not telling us where we can get those types of bags for us to sell. There are other alternatives to plastic bags. Some people take their own containers or return to methods used in the past, like using cucuruchos or paper cones. This meal delivery service decided to become more eco-friendly. They chose to invest in reusable containers and to pick them up and wash them afterwards, but believe the extra effort is worth it. Many people have congratulated us. We even have new customers who previously didn't order with us because we used styrofoam. According to the UN, each year 8 million tons of garbage end up in the world's oceans. The World Economic Forum estimates that by the year 2050 there could be more plastic than fish in the ocean. Experts emphasize reducing, reusing, recycling and evaluating the impact of our daily actions. Perhaps we're reducing our carbon footprint by not using plastic bags, but we're generating a higher hydric footprint by using paper bags, which are less frequently recycled. Better informed consumers can take better decisions to avoid turning Earth into a plastic planet. In Mexico City, Claudia Zurita, U News. Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.